The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. Okay, good morning, Gallery Church family. Um, Let's look at take three on learning to teach to a camera. I am grateful for the opportunity um, to be with you. For those of you that are able to watch live right now, some of you will be watching um, a later recording on social media or the YouTube channel. But I wanted to um, start out this morning with just a couple of announcements. Obviously, I'd love for you to download our app. It's the best way to stay informed with everything that we have coming up. There's going to be some update letters in it this week. There was one posted yesterday, and there's going to be one coming from our deacons this week that's going to give a report of the ways that we have been helpful, but then ways that we're going to continue to need your help as we continue to take care of those at risk around us. I want to also give a special thank you to our friends and partners at the World Help Organization. Um, They sent us over a thousand of these um, care kits that we're going to be able to distribute. And we've already started distributing to some of our partner churches here in Baltimore um, that are serving our homeless population, as well as um, some of our um, elderly and those that are at risk. And man, it's real exciting. I mean, this thing has everything from hand sanitizer to antibacterial wipes, as well as soaps and products that I think will help people um, be able to stay healthy. And so in that deacon letter, you're going to be able to find out ways that you can help us in ways like that, as well as several others. So I just want to thank Um, Vernon Brewer and Noelle um, Yates, uh, who oversee World Help, and Claudia, who's been just an incredible partner, friend. They've been praying for us. They've been advocating for us. I want to thank them for that. I also want to reach out, man. It's one of the things about this social media broadcasting. There's been a lot of you that have been a part of our Baltimore family that are living abroad. And um, I just want to give a shout out. I've seen Cyrus and Elaine in Singapore, and it's been so good to see your family and to be, to be encouraged by you guys, um, as well as trying to encourage you. The Shimamura family in Japan, it's been neat to see you guys online and engaging with us. Even John and Danielle and, and, and Robert in Germany. And a special shout out to Miss Vicki in Michigan, um, as well as Dan and Jody in Arizona. And it has been just so much fun watching um, you interact with us and to feel the family of God and the presence of God and so many others. And it's just, just a real joy. So today we're actually in week 20 of the Gospel of John. It's hard to believe that we've already been in this for 20 weeks, and, um, but we're getting ready to continue through that, and we're going to finish John chapter 8 today. And the title of the teaching is The Truth Will Make You Free. The Truth Will Make You Free. And before we jump into this reading in the scripture today, let's just be still for a moment. Maybe grab, prepare your space around you wherever you're watching for a moment of stillness. Maybe you can just hug your children if, uh, um, if that's appropriate or your family member around you. Just be still with those that you are present with. And let's just take a deep breath and just say, Father, we are leaving the frustrations of this week with you. Um, We're also leaving the things that are distracting us with you, and we just want to breathe in your spirit. We want to breathe in your truth, so let's just be still for a moment and do those two things. 
And Father, right now, my prayer is, is that we would, in this platform, through technology, be able to communicate the love of Jesus Christ. Father, right now, there are brothers and sisters of ours that are in our hospitals and in our medical facilities that are actually engaging in giving care through touch and through medicine. And Father, we ask your hands of protection over them. Father, as we are distancing ourselves, they cannot do the same. And Lord, we just want to ask you to be with them in a special way right now as they serve on the front lines. Keep them safe, we ask in Jesus' name. Use them as your healing hands, we pray in Jesus' name. And so, Father, right now, as we try to make sense of the end of the chapter 8 in John's gospel where Jesus is speaking so directly and boldly, would you help us to understand it and not just understand it, but know what to do with it? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, a couple of things I just want to remind you of as we are jumping into John's gospel. Remember, nothing is in this gospel by accident. John is making a case from the beginning to the end, and he's getting to his point, and his point is found in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. And let me read them one more time. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So, this letter is intended for you and I to have life in his name. And right now, I believe that there are some of you that are listening, that are watching this, that have not placed your belief and trust in Jesus Christ. And I believe that when we understand the words of John 8 today, you're going to sense his love just collapsing in on you. And I'm just praying that you are just willing to just let it absorb you, just let it encompass you, and then you just give in to that today. So let me start with reading this difficult text, starting in John chapter 8 in verse 30. And he says this, even as he spoke, many believed in him. So this is a great way to start this chapter. Uh, Jesus has already been saying some very powerful things we talked about last week. And now he's stepping into this saying that some in the crowd were believing him in this, giving us some hope in this crowd. And then verse 31 to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold on to my teachings, you are all my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Obviously, this is the group of people in the audience that is struggling to believe in him. And even some that do are asking this honest question. And then Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs it to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. And as it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that, he, that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. 
You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and I want to carry out your father's, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? And whoever belongs to God hears what God says. And the reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that we are, that you are a Samaritan and demon possessed? I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this, they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? And Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. For my father who claim as, as your God is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not but 50 years old, they said to him. And you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And at this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself and slipped away from the temple grounds. Well, that's a powerful story. Um, let me see if I can help us make sense of this today in a way that um, really can bring calm underneath this pandemic, but also empower us to be his church and be his people I think a lot of us prefer to think about Jesus and his teachings as like these sweet and sensible, reasonable conversations where everybody is sitting around wanting to understand the love of God and these like little homey like illustrations where he, Jesus teaches in these sweet parables that just move us. See, I, I grew up in the Mr. Rogers generation. I grew up with him singing a song, coming in the front door, taking off his coat, hanging it up in the closet, taking out a different color cardigan sweater, putting it on, singing more songs about truth about the day and then sitting down and having a conversation with his camera and then bringing out hand puppets and having conversations with them that deal with the topics of the day. Let me just say this. This John chapter 8 is no Mr. Rogers neighborhood. Not even a hint of it is even close to a gentle, calm conversation about the troubles and the theology of the day. Let me be clear. Jesus in this chapter is facing down a mob. Some of the leaders had already made up their mind that Jesus was leading the nation astray. They had already, if we go back and look at John chapter 7, sent um, soldiers, temple guards, to look for Jesus to arrest him, but they failed to do so. And now the crowd is so incited with their 
their belief that Jesus is going to cause trouble, that they're picking up stones. So this is no gentle, devotional, where there's this calm discourse. There's no framework for civility and mutual respect. This isn't a teacher sitting down with an audience and even having a healthy debate over the subject matter. This is a brave man facing down a mob and then confronting that mob about their hypocrisy. So that is the tone of John chapter 8. So Jesus' basic charge against the crowd is this, you're trying to kill me. That's his charge. He's like, if there is any proof that I am right, it is that your heart's desire is to kill me, and that has nothing to do with Abraham. If you go back to Abraham's words, you go back to the promises, you go back and look at the way Abraham lived his life, and you say you're children of Abraham, there is no way if you're following Abraham that your response to me would be that you're wanting to kill me. And so basically what Jesus is saying to them is you're fake. You think you're following Abraham, but you're, fo- you're, you're, you're following after him is all words, and you really don't know the one that's instructing you. And so, however, though, um, he's accusing them of following after who their father is, in which he then claims is like, look, no, your father isn't Abraham. Your father is the devil. Now, however you imagine the devil, like there's a lot of different people that have a lot of different thoughts about the devil and the spiritual forces in this world. But no matter what image you have, the honest truth is that there is an opposition to God and there is an opposition to his good creation. Which, which I think drives people to commit acts of destruction. It drives people to, to, to murder, like in this passage. It even draw, draws people to want to lie and even create lies that would sway the multitudes of people, even sway nations. There's, there's an evil in this world that wants to lie. And the problem is, is what's happening in John chapter 8, is that the religious community is not exempt from the, from the enemy stepping in and, 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 and communicating lies, even to the point where the religious community is justifying a stoning here and trying to make it out to appear noble and right. And so Jesus is standing in front of a group of religious leaders that in their hearts they want to commit murder. And he's saying to them, what you are doing is not noble and is not right. So it has nothing to do with Abraham. And here's, my, and here's one of the things in, in John chapter 8 that I think is so important for us as we have this, so much time in isolation separated from uh, the, the, the masses and we have a lot more time to be still and in the presence of our own homes is that there are plenty of people in today's culture that claim to be Christian that are lying to us. And if we're not careful, we are going to be swayed into thinking things that have absolutely nothing to do with Jesus. And we'll end up finding out that we'll end up becoming hostile towards Jesus because we would rather be comfortable in a lie rather than standing with Jesus in the truth. And so Jesus is boldly confronting this. And if we want to see where this passage applies to us, I think we need to start with this understanding of them thinking that they were following after Abraham, but they really weren't. I love what N.T. Wright says here in his description and his summary of this passage. Let me read this quote to you. The point he, being Jesus, has been making throughout the chapter, the point which is his defense against the capital charge that some are seeking to mount against him for his breaking of the Sabbath, is that the Father, Israel's God, the one whom the Judeans claim to worship, they claim to know, 
and serve is operating in and through him in a decisive and unique way to summon Israel back to a genuine knowledge and allegiance to him. So his summary of this chapter is that Jesus is, is, is trying to go after these religious people and saying, you are not following after the God that you think you are, and I want to draw you back to him. The Father in heaven is the one that gives life. He doesn't take life. He gives life. He has given these words to Jesus, and he's asking them to listen to these words as if they were coming from him. But as we can see in verse 51, if someone keeps Jesus's words, death will go by them without making any difference. There would be no fear of death. There's so much in that that we can unpack that I don't have time to unpack this morning. But in making the claims like Jesus is, he's not talking about himself. The words that he's coming here is basically saying, I am a messenger from your Yahweh, though I am. The God, the Father who sent me is the one that's speaking to you. It's striking that his hearers are convinced that this now constitutes demon possession. So he's talking to them about being a life-giving people and their accusation, their fallback is he's got to be demon-possessed. And this is one thing that all four gospels have in common, which is pretty amazing to see. But if we were to look at Matthew 12, Mark 3, Luke 11, and John 8, we will find that in some variation, people, when they saw the miraculous power of Jesus, when they listened to the miraculous words of Jesus, their definition of why all of that was happening had either to do with demon possession or in some way that he was in league with the devil. So obviously what Jesus was saying and doing was remarkable. I think we need to let that set on us just for a minute. Let's step outside of Mr. Rogers' living room for a moment and realize that Jesus is standing off in a crowd of angry people and the way that his words are being received and the way that his actions are being demonstrated, the miracles that he's done, whether with a small crowd or a large crowd, is remarkably powerful and people are trying to make sense of it. And the people that should see that it's from God in heaven are now actually the ones that are thinking he's demon-possessed and therefore are using it to commit murder. And Jesus could have answered the question in verse 53 by simply saying that God gives life to those that are faithfully departed. He could have started talking about the life that they would experience in the resurrection to come, but he doesn't. He actually goes farther. And if we reread verses 54 through 56, we will hear that he's saying that the one true God is at work in and through him. And that Abraham himself, in trusting this one God and his promises for the future, had celebrated the fact that he would see the day of Jesus. So he's saying to them, look, Abraham was looking forward to and was celebrating the day that what I am doing right now was going to happen. He's like, Abraham was looking and trusting into the promises of God. He was looking ahead to me. And, and Jesus is claiming that everything that Abraham had envisioned about the seed that was going to bless the world was now present in Jesus. So now you got to understand, the crowd thought that Abraham's seed was blessing the world all along, and they thought that they were following after God, but yet they had murder in their hearts. And now Jesus is saying, you know what? 
Abraham that you think is your father, he looked forward to me. He and I would have been like in step with one another. And now they are getting more and more furious with him. And in verse 58, you know, what does Jesus mean with this critical verse where he says, very, very truly, I tell you, which basically is Jesus like, look, listen to me, no lie. Like all the phrases that we use nowadays to say to people, I know I normally talk, but right now I need you to really listen to my words. Jesus is saying, very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. What a powerful statement. He is basically saying to them, before Abraham even existed, I was in existence, which goes back to the way that the whole um, uh, prelude to this, or the prologue to the chapter started in John chapter one, where it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and he was God in the beginning. So he's now standing in front of this angry crowd and he's saying to them, look, Abraham was looking forward to me because I was before him, I was with him, and now I'm here now, present with you. And these people, the only thing that they could wrap their minds around was some version of back to the future. Like Jesus had somehow gone back in time and space and saw Jesus or saw Abraham, or in some ways Jesus looked younger than 50, but they're like, um, were you living back then? Mind you, the time between Abraham and Jesus was about the same amount of time between us and Jesus, like nearly 2,000 years. And so what we're finding here in this particular passage is that these people had no concept of the fact that Jesus was God in flesh. And they were struggling to realize that. And I just want to say to us, let's just pause just in this room. Are we struggling to realize that God was in the flesh of Jesus Christ? Because it's so easy for us to be condemning of this mob and this crowd. But how often are we just distracted from the truth that Jesus was God made flesh so that we could see what God looked like and acted like and what God would say to us in the midst of our, our persecution and our disease and our sickness and our pandemics and the ways in which we desire um, murder and harmful thoughts that we have that are welling up within us, we can actually look at God in Jesus Christ and begin to make sense of all of that sin and evil that wells up within us. Okay, again, we would be wrong to see this passage as a gentle kind of like abstract theological discussion. It's really important that we understand this. It's taking place between two conflicting mouthpieces, Jesus and these religious leaders. But yet Jesus is saying, I am. The crowd's reaction um, is probably very similar to the way that we might react if we don't believe in Christ. And so this crowd was reacting to Jesus, accusing him of blasphemy, threatening him, um, wanting to actually literally pick up stones. I wonder how many of the crowd already had large stones in their hands, just waiting for the religious leaders to say, fire away. In our day, how many of us, of, of us are accusing Jesus of nonsense? Like, let's be honest, sometimes we won't actually say, Jesus, I think your teachings are nonsense but yet we will reject truth about Christ. We'll look at something like the Sermon on the Mount and be like, ah, that just isn't relevant for us for today. Or we'll look at um, something like in a teaching like today that we feel the conviction of the Spirit falling on us and then we, we deflect it 
by saying, oh, that just can't be, or this, or, or Jesus really wouldn't mean that, or, or you know what, I, don't, I, I just don't believe that to be true because it just goes against the things that I value. And, and so often we look at somebody like John in his writings and we're like, uh, John is obviously embellishing here. And so we come up with so many excuses because we don't want Jesus to be true. And so my response to you is very similar to what I think John would respond to you and he would just say, just keep reading. So we're in John 8. He wants us to keep reading. He wants us to get into chapter 9. He wants us to get into chapter 10. He wants us to get all the way to chapter 20. And so I say to you today, if you're struggling with what you're hearing, can you just keep pressing on with us? Don't let today's teaching be the last one you listen to. We've got to get to the end because there's so many more details that we need to discuss so that we can see the power and the might of Jesus Christ. And so one of the verses in this particular passage is where, where the title of the teaching has come from, was regularly sung during the civil rights movement, as well as it's been quoted and, and sung throughout many, much of church history. But I want to bring the moment of church history around the civil rights, specifically around the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King, because the, these words in John chapter 8, the truth will set you free has been spoken over large crowds, has been spoken in small rooms where people were weeping, has been spoken between ministers and thinking about their people. It's been spoken in, in, in chapels, in hospitals. It's been spoken in so many places, but never more powerfully during that time after Dr. King was assassinated. And, and what these words meant then and what they meant in the time of Jesus is that we have access in Christ to freedom from sin. We have access in Christ to freedom from slavery. In Jesus, we have freedom from all law that is oppressing us. We have freedom from death. We have freedom from injustice. We even have freedom from the Old Testament law that required us to do a whole bunch of things. We have freedom from debt. We have freedom from tyranny because of Jesus Christ. And the needs of today, I believe there's probably other things that we could list that would say Jesus is freeing us from all of that. There's so many human expectations placed on us. Jesus is saying, I'm freeing you from all of those expectations. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's saying the way of freedom is through truth. And what matters is to know the truth. The only way that we're going to know that something is oppressing us is to have the truth revealed. See, cruel and oppressive rule Powers that are, are cruel and oppressive and even slavery of every sort thrive on the same things. They thrive on lies. They thrive on half-truths. They, 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 they thrive on eluding and, and avoiding. They, they, and they, they thrive on figuring out ways of covering things up. But freedom is different. Freedom, true freedom, and, and truth go hand in hand. And this is what Jesus is saying to the crowd. He's exposing their hypocrisy. They think they're free, but they're bound up. They're in chains like slaves being led to work. They are be, they're bound by that. And he's saying to them, the prime example is your passion to want to kill me. He's like, you're convicted of this. And I'm coming here to tell you that the truth in me is gonna set you free from that. So Jesus is offering what everybody in Israel was longing for, Freedom at last. 
but even on a deeper level than what they had imagined. Their understanding was that God was going to set them free, and that was just going to be Rome from the slavery that they were experiencing there. But surprisingly, when they hear Jesus announce, I've come to set you free, their response to him is no. Like, he's sitting here telling them, and many are beginning to believe, but others are getting more and more adamant in their disbelief. And they're saying to this man that has proven himself miraculously powerful. That's why they're accusing him of demon possession. He's done miraculous signs. His teachings actually speak to the heart like as if God himself was saying it. And they were feeling it on a so different level that they are now responding to his statement of saying, look, I've come to set you free. And their response is no. How could they say such a thing? Because their response is, hey, we're children of Abraham. We've always been free. Man, I'd love to unpack that just for a minute. Because Jesus doesn't point out that the foundation of their national life and their faith was not just Abraham. He could have talked about the Exodus journey where they were slaves for hundreds of years in Egypt. But he goes straight to the heart of what he means about this freedom. And he's saying to them that there is a, there's a worse slavery than the suffering you experienced, your ancestors experienced in Egypt. There is a worse slavery than the semi-slavery that you're experiencing under Rome currently. He's like, this slavery grips individuals, it grips you by groups, it grips you by communities, it grips you by cities, it grips you by nations, and it even grips allegiances between nations. And he says that slavery is sin. Now, just mentioning that, I could imagine that the numbers of viewers on my Facebook page just dropped because I believe that we are done with hearing about sin. We're bored of talking about sin. Many of us view the word sin as only a group of people with some old-fashioned morality that are, are projecting that onto us. And almost all of us, when we think about sin only think that the church talks about sexual sins. And that's just way too small-minded of a view. But yes, sexual sins matter. Of course they do. Because sexual sins destroy people. They destroy marriages. They destroy families. They destroy whole communities. It's, it's destructive. But there are other ways in which sin impacts the greater parts. Anytime people rebel against God, it's sin. And every time we begin to sin, it begins to develop like a cumulative momentum, almost like a snowflake meeting a snowball, meeting a hillside that turns into an avalanche that destroys a village at the bottom. If we're not careful, we'll be like these religious leaders that were in a mob against Jesus who had let anger start to build up so much so that by the time they had dwelt on their anger, were now picking up rocks to commit murder, but yet they told people in their Ten Commandments, don't commit murder but yet now they were caught up in it. This is what sin does to us. It is in us. And Jesus is saying to this crowd, do you not see that you're bound up in your slavery to sin? And I've come to set you free from that. So the truth of this passage is how can it be that people can be set free then and can be set free now? Obviously, we talked about it in 1 John 14 and 1 John 1, excuse me, 1 John 1 verse 14, 1 John 1 verse 18. We're going to talk about it again in, in, in John 14, 6. 
And I believe I just said 1 John. What I mean is Gospel of John. Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 14, 18, and chapter 14, verse 6 are the high points where Jesus says redundantly, I am the truth and you need to believe in me. That's how we get forgiveness of sin. That's how we break the bondage and the power of sin's control in our life is if in every aspect of our life, we let the light of Christ shine in and begin to show us what is true and we're not bound up by lies any longer. Jesus doesn't actually in this particular passage in his own defense start to speak about the death, burial, and resurrection. We have to wait in John's gospel to get there, but yet he begins to bring it to a, 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 like a clarity for these people that we need forgiveness of our sins. And so if we looked at verses 35 and 36, he begins to contrast the difference between the slave and a son, where a slave never has a right to the house, but the son is actually an heir of the home. And what he's saying to them is that they are in slavery and so they're not going to be heirs of, what, of this freedom that Jesus is coming to provide. And he's, he's saying to them with this great warning, he's like, look, slaves have no assurances in the future, but only true family members do. And he's saying, I've come so that you can truly be family members of God. Not just Abraham descendants, but you can now be a part of the family of God. And, and Jesus is saying, that is what the Father has sent me here to tell you. He's like, I've spent time with the Father and the Father is now coming to me saying, I want to invite you into my family, not just a, 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 because I'm Abraham's descendants, I'm special. He's saying, now look, you've taken that and distorted it and it's almost become like a darkness in your life. He's like, I want to cast light in your life and say, you, you now have the opportunity to be in the family of God. So Jesus is saying to them, as the Father's only special son, which was talked about in John 1.18, as in a position not only to set people free, but to share with them his status as a child of the Father, which is what John summarizes in John 20, verse 17. The charge Jesus is putting to his contemporaries is that they are confusing two sorts of family memberships, being children of Abraham and being children of God. They've been assuming that being a child of Abraham means automatically that they are in right standing with God. And Jesus is like, no. If we go back and read other passages in the New Testament that Paul wrote, other places where John wrote, other early writers were writing, they're saying just because you are a descendant of Abraham does not make you in right standing with God. That's just not a fact. It is through Jesus Christ, it is in belief in Jesus Christ that we can be joint heirs with Jesus with an inheritance that's beyond our wildest imagination. And this is what Jesus is hinting at here in John 8, which should become more and more in a complete expression as we travel through the rest of John's gospel. But if only if they would hear Jesus's words and believe in him, would they be free from their slavery. And so let me end this today as I begin to move to like a closing of the teaching. I really do believe that there are some similarities for us today. Not least that many of us think, well, because I go to church 
or because I'm a part of my church. Like some of us, we don't like all the churches, but we love our church, right? It's like Gallery Church is the best church ever. And there's others of you that are part of other ministries and you're like, no, the gallery isn't the best. I remember the best church because, and so what happens is, is that we think our membership to a localized body, our, our membership to a denomination, our membership to some sort of Christian thinking is what makes us right and where our truth comes from. And that is not the case. Our truth comes from Jesus Christ. Our favor with God comes only because of Jesus Christ. And if we're not focused on Jesus Christ and we are distracted by our church, then we are in dear trouble. We have got to allow ourselves to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So here's a couple of closing thoughts, questions actually. What if the people called to carry Jesus's light into the world are themselves infected with darkness? Think about that just for a minute. This pandemic is forcing us to realize that my touch can bring you harm. How many people have been touched by a follower of Jesus? And life wasn't transferred, but death. So many public cases of abuse, so many moments where people have taken advantage of other people in the name of Jesus or in the name of their church or the name of faith. When we touch people, they should be infected with light or life, not darkness. Does this passage, a second question, does this passage mix with the Holy Spirit's conviction on us, reveal to us where we might be confused? Is there, like, are we so confident that we've got it right that we never, we never ask questions about, does this align with Jesus? We could be in a place of confusion, but yet we're not taking time to say, is this the truth of Jesus? And the third question in response to the day, does our freedom, especially here in America, I know some of you are listening from abroad, but does our freedom blind us from the freedom that Jesus is offering us? Does our freedom blind us from the freedom that Jesus is offering us? Some of us are like, I'm not a slave to anything. But yet, you're bound up in debt. I'm not a slave to anything. But yet, you can't stop looking at pornography. I'm not bound up to anything. But yet, you can't stop gambling. I'm not bound up to anything. But yet, you can't stop promoting yourself. I'm not bound up by anything, but yet you can't stop making money. Like you have to work 80, 90 hours a week because you want to make every dollar that you can. You know? And so we say, I'm not bound up. I'm not a slave to anything. But the truth, Jesus, sitting across the table from you saying, let's talk about what's binding you up. How would that conversation go? Don't just think about it coming from me, but what would it look like if you were sitting with Jesus He's saying, okay, let's let the light of my life cast light into your life. What would then be revealed? So here I know that some of you listening are probably really wrestling with, um, with this right now. And so here's a couple of things. Do you sense that Jesus is drawing you closer to him? Is he kind of like overwhelming you? Like a hug that you don't want to get and it's just way too long and way too heavy and way too strong, which is something I think all of us probably desire at this point. But 
do you just really see that Jesus, like God is pursuing you, that you're just feeling Jesus like getting closer and closer to you, like he cares about you? Just give in. Like let him, let him overwhelm you. Let him just embrace you fully. Trust him, believe in him. An honest prayer response to you feeling this overwhelming presence of Jesus embracing you, this would be an honest prayer. Jesus, I know that I need you. I'm yours. Thank you for loving me and in my sin and in all my confusion. Thank you for giving me a way out. And that would be a simple prayer. Is, is that what the prayer you want to pray today? You can do that right there, wherever you are. And say, Jesus, I know that I need you. I am yours. Thank you for loving me in my sin. And thank you for making a way out. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for just the opportunity to communicate with my brothers and sisters this way. Would the power of your spirit go? Would your conviction that comes with the light of your truth come against the darkness that is within us? And may we allow ourselves to align and bear the image of Jesus well in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna ask you if you actually... Um, prayed that prayer a moment ago when you just really felt like you were um, just giving yourself away to Jesus, would you please respond to us and let us know that that was the decision you made. We want to make sure that you're encouraged and equipped to follow after Jesus. And we look forward to spending some time with you um, this next week through social media. In the meantime, continue to pray for our first line responders and continue to use our app to stay in touch and in communication, especially in that more tab as we update letters and our deacons continue to communicate with us. So here's our benediction as we go from here today. May you remember that Jesus is the source of truth that we need. Jesus is the one that will guide us through the trouble of our day. And may we fulfill our mission to go and carry the light of Jesus to others this week, even in our social distancing. And may his kingdom come and may his will be done in us this week. And may God's grace and peace be with you. Thank you.